Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm uh, at the Dublin Tech Talks in Dublin Labs, and today the talk is going to be about mental health and tech. So, for all the guys who are here, please introduce yourselves to your Yep, uh, my name is Dr. Damien Clark. I'm a counselling psychologist. Sinead Griffin, Director of Nutrition Wellness. Hi, and my name is Amy Louise Carton, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Keep Apple. I'm Sinead Thormacar, a neurogenetics researcher and an executive of the Association of Medical Students in Ireland. You've all got very different backgrounds, which is a great thing. Damien, tell us a little about your background. My original background is marketing in Japanese. Yeah. It didn't work out quite so well, so uh, at the grand old age of uh, 30, I returned to college, did a HDIP in psychology, squeezed my way into a doctorate, finished that off, yeah. so it was a six-year journey, and in the middle of all that, I set up a health and well-being conference called Zeminar. Yeah, and how did that work out? Really well, so we've had over 65,000 young people through the doors in four years. We cover everything at the event from mental health, sexuality, race, gender, you name it, by all these different speakers. Some of them are high profile, other ones are, you know, you're just talking about evidence-based research. Uh, we have a hundred organizations showcasing themselves, generally mental health and wellbeing organizations. So I lived in Greece for seven years and then we moved home to join the corporate world. Yeah. And when I was working in the corporate world, I hit burnout. So I decided to study nutrition and stress management with the Institute of Health Sciences. I'm currently doing a postgrad in workplace wellness. So I go around to companies and communities and I just do talks on stress management, mental health and healthy eating. And has that been a challenge and fun? Oh, it's my passion. I absolutely love it. I think because I work so long in the corporate world and I understand where my customers are coming from, that it really helped me then to be able to give them the advice that I was looking for 10 years ago that I didn't get. I guess maybe someone like this working long hours and what, what food do they eat? Exactly, like when you work long hours, you mightn't have the opportunity to healthy eat. Yeah. So you might have vending machines in the building, so it's, it sort of tends to be about planning and preparing. But another part of it will be to actually understand what foods give you the vitamins and minerals that you need to support mental health as well. Yeah, because I guess if you're working long hours and if you drink too much sugar content, that can maybe affect how you, how you react as well. Yeah, absolutely. So like if you have high levels of stress, you're going to deplete certain nutrients like vitamin C and your B vitamins for energy. Um, and then also what's going to happen is you might tend to look for foods that are high in sugar as well that mightn't help you as well or support your mental health. So you might choose opportunities that are negative as opposed to positive when you're in a stressful environment. And also you might end up drinking too much caffeine. Yeah, like sometimes people drink coffee to keep awake and they might need something like a nice healthy green juice loaded with, you know, iron and vitamin C to help them. So it's giving the knowledge and the experience to know what to do uh, when you're craving certain stimulants maybe to go for the healthy option. Okay, and uh, Amy, do we say a bit about the, your Keep Happy app, what it does, you know, sort of? Yeah, so it started with a pretty dark story actually, it began with my suicide attempt and it was during my recovery that I identified a huge gap in the market for wellness apps that weren't meditation based yeah. because it was during my recovery that I was told do not meditate, don't go near it. I'm one of the 80% of the population who meditation does not work and I'm one of the 50% of the population that are urged not to meditate. 
And that's when I saw that there was this huge gap for alternative preventative solutions. We know not to use sugar and salt every day in our lives or yeah. to not eat McDonald's every day. But what are the kind of things that help us with our mental health? What are the preventative things that we can engage in every single day? So uh, Kibapi is what we describe as a gym for your mental health. Yeah. It's a multi-featured multi preventative platform with 10 different features from gaming to journaling to goal setting, a combination of everything combined together to offer you a personalized experience. And why should people not be using meditation? Yeah, so it's a really interesting thing. So I didn't say people shouldn't use yeah, meditation. No, yeah. So meditation is actually brilliant for about 20% of the population. Yeah. It can be life-changing. However, there's this huge mischaracteristic within the wellness world that meditation is the only option, when that's simply not true. We, you know, there's this huge kind of marketing domination that's currently happening that is saying that that's the case when it's not true. So things like um, my personality disorder, I have borderline personality disorder, I also have PTSD, mm. and it's a combination of those two things that make me so unsuitable for meditation right. because I have that high anxiety personality type. So when I'm locked in my thoughts, as you would have with meditation, that's probably quite a dramatic way to describe yeah. it, but when you know you're not, you're reflecting in quite an uh, internalized way, it's not productive to people with anxiety, but if you ask them to reflect in an external way through talking, journaling, doing different kind of techniques, that can be actually more beneficial for them. And that's why we offer not just meditation, but a, a whole cohort of alternatives. I solutions. think maybe a blog of what you're going through might help get out of your system and tell us what you're going through. Yeah, so a blog can be really beneficial, but some people might find that quite terrifying because yeah. of the stigma around mental health, particularly given one in five employers here in Ireland won't hire you and have gone on record to say they won't hire you if you have a mental illness. So what we offer instead is a very data secure alternative because data uh, protection is yeah. one of our cornerstones. So what we offer instead is a very safe place. It's like writing in a journal, but we know that younger users don't like writing in journals anymore. So what we've done is we've created the equivalent on your phone. Just like basically your own personal diary. Absolutely. That's great to hear because I know that in the past you had a diary years ago with a, with a, with a keypad and a, a <laughs> It's kind of like that, is it? I had one of those, except yeah. I was the era where we had the voice-activating ones, and my sister was able to mimic my voice and read my diary. Yeah. So we've made sure that ours has a lock and everything in it, so you can't do that. That's good. So, and Ashbrand, mm -hmm. can you tell us a bit about your about, about yourself? Um, so my journey into speaking about mental health actually came around very similarly to Amy's. Um, I moved to Ireland to study medicine. And around that time, I got involved with all sorts of campaigning and stuff. But I think by the end of it, it had taken a significant toll on my mental health, having had issues pretty much since my teenage years. Like, you name it, I've had it. Um, but I think once I'd sort of moved away from home, sort of self-actualized in my own space with my own platform, I started using social media quite a lot. I found an avenue to actually be really explicit in talking about my own mental illness. So I have a very rare mental illness called PMDD, yeah. which is a hormonally modulated illness, but it, it's quite messy. Um, so yeah, I think I came to speaking about mental health using my own lived experience. And then around the time that was happening, I decided to take up a master's in the middle of my medical degree. Yeah. Um, and I decided to focus my thesis on neuropsychiatry and neurogenetics, basically looking at how tiny components 
as like single bases in your genes can contribute to different kinds of risks of having different yeah. um, mental health issues and disabilities. So I found all of that really fascinating, but I think the one thing I took away from all of that was, so I'm one of those people that the conventional medication doesn't work for slash isn't licensed for because we don't have any specialists for my disorder in this country and we don't, like the NHS barely has guidelines on what I have. So I found myself in the space where I didn't really have a community where I could talk about my own issues while having this very in-depth knowledge of what I do. And then I also found that along with the other work I was doing in healthcare advocacy, you know, I found people of colour, queer and trans people, other disabled people who had similar rare conditions or very common ones that were just not explored and understood by speaking up. So I started trying to facilitate those voices in public fora by writing, um, yeah, by working as a journalist as well as working as an inclusivity consultant and working with groups like the Human Rights and Equality Commission. So I kind of started doing all of that work. And meanwhile, I think throughout when I'd come through college, we just started establishing the National Medical Students Association. So I worked with them for a couple of years, um, like smaller roles and treasuring. And then I went back and I took up for the second time the role as the vice president of finances. But one of the things that we haven't had was a major policy change or a major policy we'd made since um, repeal a couple of years ago. So with the work I'd been doing sort of with the Royal College of Psychiatry and a few other places, I decided that it was probably high time that we had a policy on how the people who are coming up to be mental health professionals, you know, it's such a hot topic now with the general election, how are we going to get more staff in, and you know, how are we going to suddenly make this utopia where mental health is solved? I think one of the things we weren't focusing on was how are we supporting the people on whom that burden is put? So Ireland doesn't have any care-focused policies on mental health, any policies for physicians and for medical students are responsibility-focused about how it is your job to be okay for patients, but not how you will be supported in doing that. So, yeah, I just thought it was probably high time to actually start working on setting that stage for people to be able to safely talk about it based on the stuff we've been doing in the association. So when you went to college, was your aim to try and get a degree so you can then go and find a cure for what your illness is? I didn't actually aim to go to read medicine. <laughs> like various aims to go read law or English or whatever. I kind of ended up in medicine. Um, but I mean, while I was there, so I've always loved stories. Yeah. I've always loved listening to them. I've always loved encouraging people to share them. And I think I just found a dearth of that in the medical yeah. profession. You saw a lot of, you know, gangrenous feet and sniffles and colds and everything in between, but you didn't really get a lot of compassion shown to people who came and talked about these stories like they were somehow less real or less impactful or more changeable somehow inherently. And I think what I kind of wanted to do was to work around setting the scene where people could share those stories to even start figuring out how to help. Yeah, three years ago was that something going to Norway when he's opened up a new building and it's probably World War I with shell shock. And now people there, they got PTSD and different stuff and they got mental issues from this. And they were told, you actually, you're deserters. And they were basically told, if you don't get back at the front line, you're going to shot as a deserter. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at it now, it's not what it is. It's now been seen more compassion. Mm-hmm. But also the change in name from shell shock, it gave it names as more compassionate. So it was shell shock, and it was something else, and now it's something that we can empty with. Whereas years ago, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it did have connotations towards people being in, in World War One yeah. in particular, and I think, 
America it was named the something kind of shell shock for yeah. after World War One a lot of psychologists begin to take interest in the aftermath yeah. and the impact that it was having on people, but they realised that it wasn't just during war, it's that yeah. people had the impact, could be impacted so severely by trauma, and that's where PTSD and things like that came from. Yeah, I saw a brief sketch by a comedian called you know, George Carlin, mm-hmm. and he talked about how it first came out was called Shell Shock, and every time there was a war, it got a different name, and it became more user-friendly. Mm-hmm. So you ended up with a really, really big, long name that sounded like it was safe, just, it's not safe, it's just, just they're trying to make you look safe, but it's still an issue we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. But how do you deal with an issue when it's got a nice cuddly cute name? Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, 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 I mean, I don't know if it's a nice cuddly cute name anymore. It's no, just, but you know what I mean? the nail on the head, that's yeah. what it is. We, yeah. I'd argue that that's why, so I actually recently wrote an article calling bullshit on the word wellness for yeah. that exact reason. I hate the word wellness. I think we use it as a cover because we're so scared of the word mental now. Yeah. You know, there's such a big uh, spectrum out there that, you know, when we compare this to the physical world, we all have physical health and a number of us have physical illnesses. I have epilepsy. But I also, when you compare that to mental, the world of mental, we all have mental health. We all wake up on the wrong side of the bed some mornings. We all have those kind of days. But because of this absolute fear of the word mental and we associate it with people in, uh, I think, like mental asylums or yeah. mental hospitals. You know, we have that fear of the straitjackets and all those things that we've become so scared that we've used this new word and this new sexy branding of wellness and well-being. And it's not necessarily actually constructive to the debate around this because it's not defeating the stigma. It's not making it more acceptable. It's just making it more tolerable in the workplace and yeah. in other societies. I think we can feel the this. We have one single person, which is a character played by... Uh, Oh, uh, what's uh, that actor's in front? Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, yeah. Uh, McMurphy. He had one, one guy, and then the rest of them there were kind of nuts. And, and you're seeing that, that I think that everyone in, in the real world is slightly all on spectrum, but some more than others. And sometimes people, you know, how does it you want others? Others you will see right away. So, I think what Amy's saying is right, we all have mental health, yeah. and anyone can be impacted by it. You know. Some people, very small, some people might have some sort of a genetic predisposition yeah. towards it, but we all have physical health, we can all get sick. We all have mental health, we can all get sick. Yes, it's the same yeah. thing. So we're s- and some people don't really see that, they sort yeah. of see that as an us and them thing, or oh, we're fine, it's, it's other people yeah. who have a mental health problem. But in my experience, it can happen to anybody. You have people, very successful people, people of all different sorts of, of ways, come to see me for one to one therapy. And yeah. Well, for me, I look at someone who's got depression, I think everyone gets depression, mm-hmm. but just some will get worse than others because whatever it is, they can't, they can't cope with it, whereas others can't cope with it. And if it's depression, the way you get it is either to uh, drink booze, take drugs, or something else to get out of the system. So this is, this, this is also another important thing. So people use words like depressed, OCD, autism. Yeah. We saw that recently in the, in the election campaign, and people use it unknowingly. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a difference between feeling depressed in a day and being depressed after your holidays yeah. and having a clinical diagnosis of depression or yeah. OCD which is based on using a standardised scale yeah. over the course of you know, some, how someone's been feeling over two weeks so yeah. we can all feel depressed on a day or we can all have things that are yeah. OCD-ish or whatever but they're very different to a, a clinical diagnosis and there's different types of depression as well there's chemical imbalances where you might require medication and then there's 
you know, what you could call this man-made depression where you, you know, you've had a really long stress in life, the diet and lifestyle needs to be adjusted and you can actually get rid of your depression, but not all types of depression can be healed through diet and lifestyle just alone. I guess it can be managed. If you can manage it, manage it and make sure that you can maintain a certain lifestyle that it doesn't come into it. And that's something at Keepafi that we really activate. So our key feature on our app is our mood tracker. Yeah. So we track the eight vitals that most impact your daily well-being. Everything from mood, productivity, exercise, social, water, everything. And the idea is that people are waking up in the morning and they're stressed and they're tired and they haven't slept well. And they're like, oh no, I've just woken up on the wrong side of the bed. I've had a bad night's sleep. I just need to get on with my day and have my three cups of double espressos and just keep going, just keep going. And what they're not realizing is they're not identifying their triggers. We are so quick to be able to understand what's wrong with us uh, ourselves physically. We're able to go to a doctor. We're able to get a diagnosis. We know when we sprain our ankle that we sprained it because we tippled o- toppled over. But when we look at our mental well-being, and I'm not talking about depression. I'm not talking about anxiety. I'm not talking about clinical diagnoses. I'm talking about mental health, the everyday experiences that we go through, the spectrum that we go through of our well-being that we can identify the triggers, we can identify what's causing our low mood or our, our low level stress, like whether it's work, whether it's not eating healthy, whether it's not sleeping well. Like I know for myself, my biggest stresses are not being productive enough in work, not eating healthily, and not drinking enough water. Yeah. And I would never have been able to identify that before, but there are ways to do that. But for me, then, today I have a client I'm working for, doing some work for, and uh, I gave him some work last week, came back to me twice and made some changes. I did change the required, and then I came, came out of my apartment for me and said, I hope I've done what I wanted. I was feeling stressed. I put on some music, and the moment that the music came onto my ears, my mood changed, and I became so happy. And I saw it for a reason, and I came on, and it was like, it's soft jazz, came on, like, this is great. I'm not thinking about them. This is, this is my moment, I'm going to enjoy my first days of this, that's it. And at times you need that kind of thing where you can just get a, a me time. And that music for me is maybe is the main thing that helps me get out of what I'm going through well, at that moment. I think, I think one of the things that like, people sort of recognise in this whole conversation about wellness, yeah. well-being or whatever, is the fact that like that isn't a mutually exclusive thing to people who have mental illness and who don't. Yeah. Like I can listen to a delightful piece of music and be fine, or you know, some people drink coffee and are fine yeah. for a certain level of functioning for a certain period of time. But I think the issue is more like what is fundamentally their operating baseline yeah. isn't quite maintained by like just changing these tiny things. And I yeah. think that's probably the difference between But that's the big difference. There are two things that we're discussing here. There's mental health and then there's mental illness. Yeah. And I know with my mental illnesses, when I'm having a borderline episode, eating healthy isn't going to cure me. Doing exercise isn't going to cure me. There are things that are, and steps and procedures I need to take. But we need to be very clear when we're having these conversations that there are these two things and that it is a spectrum. That people can be on that spectrum anywhere, just like they are with their physical health. It's the difference between mental health and mental wellness. They're yeah. two completely different things. And we do get confused in the wellness environment that we yeah. think you know, wellness is just being healthy. So your mental health is not just about the absence of a mental health disease, it's about your overall mental well-being. And then you have illnesses completely separate again. Yeah, because I know that I've got an Apple Watch and it does things like it tells me every so often, drink more water. And at times you get a picture of a a water bottle of a bottle with the skunk crossbones, they haven't drunk enough and and more more to drink more. And then it's telling me to breathe. This, I'm always getting uh, that yes. It's so passive aggressive. 
yeah, this kind of brings it beautifully into technology. So before mm-hmm. I came, I, I really didn't know what today's um, yeah. talks were about. I was like, is it mental health and technology, yeah. or is it just mental health for people in who work in technology? Yeah. So I wasn't really sure what it was about, but I think things like Keep Happy are really good and stuff yeah. like that, whereby they're promoting mental health through technology. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting movement. And there's a lot of things, you know, people could do different types of therapy online that are being evidence-based, yeah. um, like CBT, for example. People who live in remote parts of the country or the world can connect with different therapists now, and, and that's also very useful. So technology, whilst it's very often demonized in lots of ways, can be very useful in helping people yeah, well, for me, if you got like an app or using a, an a, a, like a Apple or, or Fitbit, because they're actually telling you certain time you're so busy with your work, you don't realize how fast and you should be have done something. You could have drunk some clues or gone for a little walk. The fact that it reminds you to do this, it's great because you then do it because you have to do this. Mm. So people are really goal oriented. Yeah, so that's why Absolutely. technology is good. Like if you're given a number for steps, or if you're on a if you're on a roll with your meditation and you've been doing it at certain times per day, or or per week or something like that. People love to chase targets, and I think technology helps kind of gauge that in people and kind of promotes that that, that feeling of wanting to hit targets and do things that are, are well. Yeah, and the reader will tell me, well, this week you managed to burn so much calories. <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you uh, do a pre-stack next week? And I'm, I'm going, yeah, and it's making me want to do this. It's challenging me. Come on, can you do this? But the other important thing is, you know, 59% of what we do are habits a day. Yeah. So what we do, we wake up and do the same thing. So when you're trying to change have it to become more positive by logging it down or having an app that tells you the information it's really crucial yeah. to you changing it and possibly changing one habit at a time would be good habit trackers have actually been proven so that's why we do have a mood tracker because habit tracking is such yeah. an important part of taking control of your generalized mental health even any form of health they've proven that it has a 47 percent increase in changes in habits like it is a significantly beneficial thing that we can be engaging in. Just to go back to your comment on demonizing, because this is actually an area I love talking about, because it was Twitter that saved my life. Well, it didn't save my life, but it has had a really positive effect on my life because of the openness with mental health on that platform. And you're exactly right. It's one of those like one of those social media sites that has been demonized to the nth degree. And like that can be seen across so many platforms, whether it's Instagram with the body positivity movement or, you know, I, well, I don't know that much about Facebook. I feel like it's become a little bit dated, but like there's so many platforms that we're seeing where, you know, there are really serious consequences. There is really serious bullying. There is really serious yeah. exposure to really devastating things. But at the same time, they've created, it's just like the development of social movements. They're creating a tidal wave of, tidal wave of change where we're talking about this thing, it's come to the well, open. I think with Facebook, it's more the case where you get more bullying on there. Because if you're a member of a certain school group, whatever, that happens on Twitter, it's more open. And you need to see what people around the world have got what you're going through. And you can discuss with them privately or online or privately, in the ends. So I'm going through, I've seen, you, I've seen your story, and I can share mine with you. Yeah. And, and I've, I've done it myself, and it's been great to be able to do that. Yeah, so people get great support and online communities. Yeah. Especially if you're you something that you know talking to someone face to face might feel embarrassing or if it's quite an unusual thing that you know you may not be aware of people kind of search this stuff online and they, and they get connected to other people experience it from different continents yeah. and they find that very supportive as well because uh, i'm to find if you have a certain rare illness and it's not a really known in in, in your country you can find support abroad and then and i've seen that myself or certainly that we're looking up for something i'm going through anything that i want to find 
the Davis Tootman is not here, it, it, it's abroad, and none of us going to get here. But it gives you some kind of hope that you know, one day we'll, we'll, we'll get it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Find support. Um, I mean, I think I found support in two unique ways, so I'll probably be talking about it in the talk later. Um, I think the first thing was support in the sense of like Ireland is such a small community in the professional sense. So I think from a very professional sense, being able to speak up in the medical field, which is unheard beyond, it's, it's not even unheard of. It is very strongly and crudely advised against. Mm -hmm. um, it was refreshing to be able to find not just people who you know, spoke about mental health as psychiatrists, but people who spoke about mental health as psychiatrists with lived experience and being able to build in a very professional sense on the kind of autonomy you get from you know, saying, this is a part of me, or go away. Yeah. But then also, yeah, with stuff like PMDD, because there is so little research here. I mean, I made, I made it a part of my research for my master's. It's one of the smaller uh, literature pieces I was doing. And yeah, I was able to get a great deal of um, information from around the world. I was able to study and plan clinical trials around the world um, for drafting and just be able to say, you know, look, this isn't here. We need to do this. This is a very particular thing that is off-license and we need to try it. Absolutely. And it's it's been remarkable, I think, even... Now, arguably, one of the issues with something like Twitter and one of the issues with talking globally on that kind of platform is the degree of information Absolutely. and, like, the degree of veracity that information has is quite different. Like, there is definitely a sense of, you know, from wellness planning to studying to anything, I have a certain degree of faith in paper, I have a certain degree of faith in articles that I can print and read rather than everything that comes across your timeline. But in a way, it's good because, like, the same as are the ills of a mile a minute changing social media sphere yeah. are probably also its benefits in the fact that an idea, if you can get it to take hold, and especially facts, if you can get them to take hold, can do so much good, attributed or otherwise, in yeah. so many spaces. That's been really gratifying, actually. Is there anything else we've got on the podcast? Hmm? Anything else we've got on the podcast, or do you think you've spoken enough? I will never miss an opportunity to say to people, if they're not feeling well, don't wait to be feel really unwell yeah. to get help. Learn what the signs and symptoms are of not feeling mentally healthy, yeah. and should you feel that way, don't hesitate to contact your GP or look for support. Yeah. Someone very wisely said it to me on that, if you don't think Homer Simpson thinks that way, then ask for help. Yeah. Because for me, when I was at my worst, I thought everyone had suicidal ideation. I thought everyone felt this way. I thought it was so normal yeah. to feel this way. But then I was shocked when I realized exactly like that. Like, I didn't know what the signs and symptoms were. So if you think what you're thinking is something that Homer Simpson will think, like, because he's so happy all the time. He only thinks, you know, very mundane or very happy thoughts. So if you're not thinking those thoughts in a consecutive way, as in two weeks, I think, is now the standard yeah, recognized. Yeah, yeah, so if you're thinking the same way for two weeks, that's when you need to ask for help. And if you don't go dough as well. If you, well, I say dough all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or Flanders. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. So even if you're having a bad day, you don't have to always say you're in the work environment where everything's great. Just say you're having a crap day. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be seriously unwell, even if you're just being a little bit low. Speak out and just let other people know, because it's really good to share that. I guess just take time out, five minutes. Five minutes every day won't, won't kill you. Yeah, I mean, I think I, what I'd probably say is for the people 
who don't have agency. I think one of the things we do need to realize is, as we said, we, most of us don't think like Homer Simpson. The vast majority of people, to some extent or other, will be more neurotypical than others. Mm-hmm. And I think it's for them also to like understand that you know, a mental illness doesn't detract from capacity. I mean, I know I mean that in a very medical sense of you know what we're allowed to give consent to or not, but it doesn't detract from the capacity of someone to autonomize and act yeah. as their best selves. Like what one of the things I talk about in the Human Rights and Equality Commission work is, you know, I'm we're not disabled by the fact we have a condition. Yeah. The disabling happens by virtue of a society that doesn't understand. So making a habit of listening to these stories. Yeah. I think is probably one of the best things you can do if this is not an issue that affects you, just making a habit of learning how to listen yeah. and how to share. Great. Great. Thanks very much for that, guys. Girls. <laughs>